winds hold every inch of the galaxies in place. You've built a world that shouts for its creator. You custom built me to be exactly who I am. Nothing more, nothing less. And my favorite part of it all is that you have always loved me, and you always will. Good morning again, Forest Park. Great to have you. This is part three of our continuing series called Wonder. We're wrapping up the series today. If you are just joining us, maybe you're new to Forest Park or new to the series, I encourage you to go by our YouTube channel. Check out parts one and two. We cover a lot more material on those two uh, parts that I think will be helpful, challenging, and also um, encouraging to you on your spiritual journey. We're wrapping up the series today. Really excited about today's message. Before we get into part three of this series, we want, as we do every week as we begin, we want to talk about what, or at least mention, the mission of Forest Park. Why do we do what we do? Why do we gather? Why do we give? Why do we serve? Etc. Our mission statement says to help people follow Jesus one step at a time. We believe everybody has a next step. You may know what the next step is, you may not. If you do, I encourage you to take it. If you're not sure, we want to help you. We want to get alongside you, help you discover what that is, and then take it. Because we believe that whether you've been following Jesus for a week or you've been following Jesus for most of your life, you have a next step. I have a next step, and you have a next step. What is that? Hopefully you know what it is. If not, hey, let's get alongside you and help you discover what it is. All right, let's jump into part three, the final part of our series called Wonder. You know, over the last few months, I've been working my way through the book, The Body Keeps the Score. It's about the brain, mind, and body in the healing of trauma, how we respond to pain and deep disappointment, especially when the trauma happens early in life. Fascinating book, filled with insight. One discovery is how pain and disappointment not only affect kids, but if they don't recover from the trauma, if they don't confront the trauma, deal with the trauma, and heal from the trauma, how those kids will carry the effects of the trauma into their adulthoods. Let me read to you just a couple of quotes. These are somewhat lengthy quotes. I don't have them on the screens, so I want you to just pay attention as I read these quotes from the book. The first one is dealing with how kids will experience trauma and how it affects them as they grow up. This is what the author says. Children who don't feel safe in infancy have trouble regulating their moods and emotional responses as they grow older. By kindergarten, many disorganized infants are either aggressive or spaced out and disengaged, and they go on to develop a range of psychiatric problems. They also develop a more physiological stress as expressed in heart rate, heart rate variability, stress hormone responses, and lowered immune systems. And then, how the effects spread into the next generation. This is a second quote. This has to deal with the fact that if you don't deal with those issues and you become an adult and have kids, you can spread the same issues to your children. Here's what the author says. Parents who are preoccupied with their own trauma, such as domestic abuse or rape, or the recent death of a parent or sibling, may also be 
too emotionally unstable and inconsistent to offer much comfort and protection. While all parents need help, they can uh, help raise their children. Um, excuse me. While all parents need all the help they can get to help raise secure children, traumatized parents in particular need help to be attuned to their children's needs. In other words, if you don't deal with the trauma, not only are you affected by it, but you will pass it down to your kids. They will then absorb the trauma that you've gone through that's unresolved, and they will pass it down to their children. And on and on the trauma gets passed from one generation to the next. Then, this past week, I was listening to a podcast, and the doctor explained how the latest research shows kids who grew up in homes requiring a large number of fight-or-flight responses. What that means is they get into situations and they either flee, they flight, or they want to fight, fight or flight. They have this, you know, adrenaline that surges through their bodies. If they get into a lot of those when they are children, they have a lot of different fight-or-flight responses. Maybe their parents argued, you know, a, a tremendous amount as they were growing up, or they were picked on relentlessly, or they were abused by a parent, or a family member, whatever. They have a large number of fight-or-flight responses. They often become adults who are hypersensitive to their bodies. They experience anxiety as adults. Their environments, any and all overstimulation, their traumatized childhood set them up for a difficult adulthood. Now, some of you are thinking, I didn't know we were coming to a TED Talk on mental health today. You're, you're not, okay? I bring these up for, for particular reasons. The first reason is a, is a general overall reason. I, I enjoy learning about mental health and emotional health, and I love passing on what I'm learning. And hopeful, what I learn and give to somebody else will be encouraging to them, challenging to them, and might even inspire them to work on their own healing and become a much healthier adult than they were when they were younger. The second one more specific to this particular series we're in, and here it is. And hopefully if I do a good job today, this is what you'll get out of it. A few of us sitting in this room, a few of us watching online, we struggle to feel, enjoy, and experience God's presence on a consistent basis. The wonder of our faith, the wonder of Christianity. And we struggle with it because we have never confronted and addressed the trauma of our past. We are carrying the pains and wounds and disappointments of yesterday, even our childhood, everywhere we go. And we've carried the pains of yesterday into our life of faith today. It is dragging behind us as we follow Jesus. Every day we try to follow, we're dragging it along with us. We drag it to church, we drag it to community group, we drag it to work, we drag it to school, we drag it home, we drag the pains of yesterday, the trauma of yesterday, everywhere we go. And because we've never confronted it and dealt with it, we're, it's hindering us, it is slowing us down, it is impeding our journey. We lose the wonder of our faith when we carry the weight and baggage of past trauma. And unless something occurs, unless something changes, unless we are healed from that trauma, we will deal, have to deal with it. The yesterday's pain will prevent tomorrow's joy. That's the way I say it. Yesterday's pain will prevent tomorrow's joy. Now listen, there, there is no way in one message we can address it all. But here's what I want to do. I want to help you with one area, just one area today, 
okay? And before I dive into this, and once we get going, we're not going to stop until we get to the end. I want you to know I am not a mental health professional. Everything I know I've learned through personal research and experience. In fact, most of what I've learned is a result of trying to figure out what's going on inside me. All right, I've gone through so many dark periods in my life, so many emotional mazes I have found myself in, so many ditches I have fallen into that I had to go, okay, what's going on here, okay? I'm still praying, I'm still going to church, I'm still reading my Bible, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, things spiritually, but I am just, I feel weighed down, I feel depressed, I feel dark, and I've had to figure out that I have not dealt with some of the trauma in my own life. So that's what kind of catapulted me, if you will, into reading about mental health and emotional health and asking questions of counselors and therapists and trying to figure out what the world is going on inside me, all right? So I'm just sharing with you some things I've learned, my own experience. I'm not giving full mental health advice, nor am I qualified to do so. But what I will give is insight into why you might be missing the wonder of your faith and why you are inconsistent, And then I'm going to give you one huge step you can take toward healing. Okay? Are you ready for that? Good. One of the best examples of everything that I'm talking about in this message is found in the story of Joseph laid out for us in the book of Genesis. Now, when you think of Genesis, you think, no doubt, of creation and Adam and Eve and how everything got started. But Joseph commands far more space in the book of Genesis than the creation and Adam and Eve all rolled into one. And when you read the story of Joseph, there are so many angles to his story, so many life lessons, so many different directions you can go when you read his story and you write down lessons that you can learn from his life, from his journey from a favored son to a pit, to a palace, to Potiphar's wife, to prison, to second in command over all of Egypt. In fact, if we dissected the life of Joseph and we got into the details, we would probably have a series that would last 12, 13, 15 weeks. It is so filled in so many different places that we can go. His story is filled with jealousy, hatred, mourning, temptation, wealth, family dynamics, famine, revenge, power, dreams, on and on. But what I want to do is I want to focus on what I think is the most beautiful part of his life, and that is love and forgiveness for people who do not deserve it. Let me set the story up for you, okay? Joseph was second of, uh, to the youngest of 12 boys, so he had 10 older brothers. Can you imagine the sibling rivalry that went on in that family? And not only was he almost the baby, but out of the 12 boys, he was favored by his dad, Jacob. So you can imagine how much jealousy there was among those 12 boys when dad, Jacob, kept favoring one particular son out of the twelve. Well, the ten older brothers especially began to resent Joseph. And if you read the story of Joseph, you'll see that he had some reasons as to why they resented him. And some of the resentment's a little fair. He kind of carried with him a little pride. He carried with him a little attitude, hey, I'm the favorite. And they could feel it. They could sense it. So there was some resentment that had built up over the years between these older brothers and Joseph. Long story short. Now, when I say long story short, I'm going to say that a couple times because I'm literally taking a chapter or two and condensing it down to like 20 or 30 seconds. So you need to read the entire story if you get a chance. Just sit down and read five or six or ten chapters in Genesis and cover all the story of Joseph, how it began, and how it winds down. But here's the long story short. His brothers did what I cannot imagine anyone doing to another human being, especially their own brother. They beat him, threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery, 
and told their father he was dead. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it must have been like to be Joseph at the bottom of a pit your brothers threw you into? You look up and you beg for your life, and instead of them helping you, instead of them pulling you out of the pit, they laugh at you, they mock you, they leave, go home, and tell your father who loves you with everything he has that you are dead. That in and of itself would scar most people forever. Joseph had to carry that pain with him for years afterwards. Now let's, let's pause on the life of Joseph because I want to talk to you about trauma. This one incident in Joseph's life could have destroyed him forever because one traumatic occurrence is enough to scar a person for life. When trauma happens, whether it is a result of a horrible accident, abuse, rape, assault, the way you think of the world. Trauma is something that happens that changes the way you think of the world. There we are. Uh, yay. This thing happens and now the world is no longer safe. This thing happens and now people can't be trusted. This thing happens and now my friend doesn't have my back. This thing happens and now people think I'm stupid or I'm ugly. Any event at all that happens in your life that alters the way you see the world is labeled as a traumatic occurrence. I'll never forget about 27 years ago or so, Lan and I, it was a Friday afternoon, we were on our way to see Lana's family. That particular day, we put Evan in the back seat of our car. He was only about eight months old or so. And within about 15 minutes, a high school student pulled right in front of us. They were getting out of high school that afternoon, excited, had about six teenagers in the car, pulled in front of us, and we hit them at about 55 miles an hour or so, flipped their car upside down, told our car, bruises all over us. Evan cut his chin on the seat belt. You know, we had just every, our steering wheel bent, you know, the seats, the bucket seats in our car bent, windows smashed. I mean, it was just terrible. I'll never forget that moment. It happened so fast. And for months afterwards, 
for months afterwards. I just was so scared to get in the car because I was just, I, somebody's going to pull out in front of me. Something's going to happen. It changed. It altered the way I saw the world. I had never been in an accident before. So I just drove and, you know, I was confident that all of a sudden something occurs and boom, right then everything is altered in your life. Some of you have gone through the exact same things. Somebody has said to you, hey, hey, I, I, I got you. I got your back. You can trust me. And then you find out they betrayed you. They talked about you. They took a secret you gave them and they use it against you. Or maybe a, a husband or a wife had an affair on you and broke your heart. And you were a person who trusted before, and now you have a very difficult time trusting again. Or you had a job, and that you loved the job, and you were confident that the job was going to be fine, and then you were laid off or let go, or somebody else was hired in your place. And all of a sudden, the world shifts. The world changes. Anything that happens that alters the way you think of the world is considered a trauma. And it only takes one traumatic situation to obstruct a person's development. Only one horrible, painful event to scar someone for life. If something occurred in your past and it was beyond your ability at the time to master it, to control it, to get in front of it, and as a result, you see the world differently, you experienced trauma and it affected you. Now let's go back to Joseph. No doubt, Joseph experienced trauma as he was laying in the bottom of that pit. Looking up at his brothers, he has been betrayed by his brothers. He has been uh, maligned. He has been hated by them. And now his, his father is going to believe that he is dead. So he knows that his dad is now going to be heartbroken as a result of this. And then he is sold into slavery. And he goes into Egypt and he becomes a slave and he works all day to serve the Egyptians. No doubt he wondered where God is in all of this. What about his faith? What about the God of Israel he had heard about? Why is he allowing all these things to happen to him? He no doubt has experienced a traumatic situation. And some of you know exactly what it's like, don't you? Maybe you were not loved as a child. Maybe you've been betrayed as an adult, maybe it was your father who never loved you or your ex-wife who betrayed you. It was a friend you trusted. It was an employer, something. And you experienced that trauma in your life. But the trauma of Joseph's rejection would only be the beginning for Joseph. It actually gets worse. Jumping to Genesis 39, eventually Joseph is sold, as I mentioned, into slavery and he is purchased by one of Pharaoh's officials named Potiphar. And for a while, Joseph's life gets a little bit better, as good as it can be for a slave. Potiphar, Joseph's owner, trusted Joseph and promoted him to be in charge of his house. He was basically a house slave, but only for a while. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to pick the story up in verse 6 of Genesis 39. I'm just going to read this to you because here's what happens in Joseph's lives that makes everything worse. Genesis 39, verse 6. So Potiphar, that's the owner of Joseph, Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. When Joseph was in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Some of you are like, hey, that sounds like me. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. 
With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, folks, listen to me. The integrity of Joseph here is unbelievable. Most of us would abandon our integrity as soon as we hit the bottom of that pit. As soon as God betrayed us, as soon as life flipped upside down, as soon as everything in our life came to a halt, and all of a sudden we start living a new reality, we would have taken our whole integrity and set it aside and said, you know what, I live for you, God, for a while, and you didn't come through, and my life is slowly getting worse, so forget this whole living you know, holy or living pure or living by integrity. I'm just going to do what I want to do. But Joseph refused to allow the trauma of his past to hinder his future. No matter what, he did the right thing. Now, I want everybody to look at me for just a moment, okay? You can, you can dart your eyes in a moment. But right now, I want you to look at me, all right? Here's what I've learned. When we humans experience trauma, whatever that is, rejection, betrayal, pain, injury, divorce, When we experience trauma, we tend to think we deserve whatever makes us feel good. And typically those things making us feel good aren't necessarily good for our mind, body, and soul. But we think, you know what? I deserve it. In fact, a lot of us in that particular situation would have looked at Miss Potiphar as a reward. We would have said, you know what? I've been going through so much pain, so much trauma, so much hurt. I deserve this. And we would have walked down the road of compromising our integrity, walked down the road of compromising everything we've believed in because the pain would have affected us so much so we would have hung up our integrity, hung up our relationship with God, and took a bite. That's what we would have done. Now listen, folks, okay? I'm not here to judge you for it because I've been there. Most of the time when we do that, we are doing so because we're trying to numb ourselves to the pain, to hide ourselves, to pamper our wounded selves, to put salve on the wound of someone rejecting us, someone lying about us, somebody betraying us. And typically, whatever that thing is that we believe in that moment we deserve, it comes in the form of taste or sight or pleasures. Look, God knows I get it. I understand it. And if you're gathered in this room or you're watching virtually and you're, you're like, you know what, that's where I am right now. You have no idea what I've been going through. You have no idea what's happening at work, what's happening at home, what's happening in my life. And I really think right now I deserve X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to take X, Y, and Z. Listen, I'm not here today to condemn you. I'm not here to put guilt on you. It has nothing to do with God's love for you. It has nothing to do even with your salvation. You are loved and you are secure in Christ if you've placed your faith in him. That's not at all what my goal is here to warn you or to shake you loose or shake you out of that drunken state. My hope is to warn you that if you continue down that road, things in your life are going to get a whole lot worse a whole lot worse, and I don't want to see that happen to you. And I have the feeling 
Joseph was somehow able to confront his pain and bring it to his God and deal with it while he was in the pit and in the prison. And when he moved to the palace, he didn't carry it with him. And I've been asking myself, how is it that I can deal with the pain and the hurt and the betrayal while I'm in the pit and while I'm in the prison? Because one day God might choose to put me in a palace. And if I don't deal with it in the pit, I'm going to confront it in the palace. Are you tracking? So I want to be healed here so I don't carry it there. Well, long story short, Miss Potiphar kept on at Joseph. And eventually Joseph had enough, and he runs away from her. Now, you would think in that moment, God would be like, you passed the test, right? Awesome. Things are going to get brighter now for you. Not so. Miss Potiphar accuses him of trying to rape her, and Mr. Potiphar believed his wife. So what happened? Everything in Joseph's life gets worse. Joseph is now framed for attempted rape, and he's sentenced to prison. So he goes from the pit to the palace, to prison. That definitely would be the point where we would throw our hands up and say, why in the world am I even a Christian? I keep trying to do the right thing in every situation I'm in, and every single time I do the right thing, things in my life get worse. I might as well stop. It's not helping. I might as well hang it up, and I might as well enjoy the fruits of whatever it is around me that I can take. But not Joseph. Joseph maintains his integrity and his faith. He refuses to transfer the pain of his past into his future. He refused to allow what his brothers did to him to continue to destroy him. Listen very carefully to this. Some of us get wiser in the pits and prisons of life. Some of us rot. The question is, wherever, whatever pit you're in right now, whatever prison you find yourself in, are you learning? Are you growing? Are you saying, God, what's going on in my life? I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for that. I'm not saying the pit or prison that you're in right now has anything to do with what you've done. Joseph did nothing and ended up in the pit. He did nothing but try to maintain his integrity and ended up in prison. So it's painful, it's hurtful, especially when you didn't do anything. But some of us learn in the pit. Some of us just language in the pit. Well, through a remarkable set of events, Joseph was not only released from prison, but he eventually rose to second in command over all of Egypt. Say, well, that was quick. Well, that's a long, dramatic story. You should read the entire story of Joseph. Lots of things happen. and moves him from, you know, his favorite of his father to a pit, and from a pit to a palace, and from a palace to a prison, and from a prison back into the palace, and now he's second in command over all of Egypt. Now let's jump to Genesis 42. This is where the drama really intensifies, and actually everything I said is setting it up for this moment right here. While Joseph is helping to lead Egypt, the country endures a devastating drought. And it is forcing his brothers, the ones responsible for so much of his pain he experienced in life, the ones who kicked off all the pain, if you will, the ones who threw him in the pit to begin with, they have to go to Egypt where Joseph is in command and seek food for their families. Now, I want to slow the story down because what happens next is the punch of this whole thing. 
When his brothers arrive in Egypt in search for food, they have no idea Joseph is in charge of the storehouse of grain. How the tables have turned. He has actually been put in charge of the food distribution for the entire area. And the brothers are hungry. They don't have any grain. They come to Egypt to get some grain. And Joseph is the one who's in charge of the grain. They think their brother is either dead or he is a poor slave lost in Egypt somewhere. So his brothers are escorted into the chamber where Joseph is waiting. Imagine that moment. Now Joseph, the man standing in front of them, second in command of Egypt, is dressed in regal attire. If you've ever seen, you know, movies about Egyptians or pictures, you see all the the makeup and the headdress that they wear and the, 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 the garments that they have on. Well, Joseph is second in command, so no doubt he has gold and he has a head attire that he's wearing and he has makeup on his face and he is speaking in Egyptian language, and they have to have an interpreter to understand what he's saying. So they have no idea this is their brother. He is standing in front of them, dressed in all this garb, speaking a different language through an interpreter. They have no idea that the man, the most second most powerful man in all of Egypt, is the one they stripped and threw into a cistern and sold into slavery years earlier. But now everything is flipped around. One of the most powerful men in the world stands in front of them holding their lives in his hands, and they don't even know it. One command, and each brother would have been executed and his body discarded. And what does Joseph do? Well, Joseph speaks with them through an interpreter. No doubt his emotions are raw. You can imagine how raw his emotions are. Here are the men who cause such pain, so many sleepless nights, so much confusion and worry and anxiety came through the decision that these men made. In fact, everything he's experienced from being sold into slavery to going into uh, Potiphar's house to being accused of rape and throwing back and all of that kicked off because of his brothers. And when no one's watching, The story says that Joseph walks to the side of the room. His brothers are all standing there, and he walks to the side of the room, and he weeps. Now, let's pause for a moment. Some of you know exactly what it feels like to weep over the pain other people have caused you. You ever um, gone somewhere, and you smell something that you haven't smelled maybe in years It could be a particular food, it could be perfume or cologne, it could be maybe a particular, you know, area at the beach or something, and and the aroma brings back memories of your childhood. It brings back memories of something that happened 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Our sense of smell is a powerful sense, and it actually records in our brain. And when we smell that particular smell, all the memories come flooding back. You ever heard the voice of someone you haven't heard in a long time and all of a sudden memories of that person begin to come back to you? I say all that because I want you to feel this moment. You got to understand, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have texting. They didn't have video recording. When they threw Joseph in the pit, he never saw them again until this moment. He has gone from the pit into being a slave, into Potiphar's house, into prison, and back into second in command over all of Egypt. And he's never seen his brothers. And all of a sudden, his brothers are standing in front of him. How many memories are flooding back? He goes over to the side and he weeps. Why does he weep? I think 
I think he weeps over what could have been. I think he weeps over what should have been. I think he weeps over the relationship he could have had with his brothers. I think he weeps over the relationship he lost with his dad. I think he weeps over the fact that his very own flesh and blood would do what they did to him. And all of that in that moment, it just crystallizes. And he's just standing there and he's just overcome with emotions. And Some of you know exactly what that's like. Some, some of you are out in town and you, 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 know, you smile and you, 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 you try to keep yourself together and then you see her at the coffee shop. You see him at Walmart. You see a post on Facebook, and it brings back all these memories. It brings back all this emotion. And you keep yourself in line, but then you weep on the way home. And you don't know what to do with all that. You don't know what to do with all those emotions and all that pain and all those lost relationships and what could have been and what should have been. Others of you, your crying days are over. You don't cry anymore. You're just angry furious over what he did to you, what she said about you, how your family treated you when they should have defended you, but they didn't, how disrespectful your kids were. And like Joseph, you wish you could stand in front of your family and hold the power. If you would, if you could, many of you, it'd be hell to pay. If you could put your ex-wife in front of you and you had the power, if you could put your father in front of you who caused you so much pain and you held the power, if you could hold that person in power, if you had power over the person who touched you inappropriately, who molested you, who lied about you, who cheated on you, who took your place, who betrayed you, if you could put that person in front of you and you had power over their lives, many of them would pay dearly. Well, they stood there unaware of his identity. They don't know who he is. And the guilt and the remorse for all the violence they've caused to their brother Joseph starts coming back to their minds. This is what it says in Genesis 42, verse 21. One of the brothers says, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why all this distress has come upon us. Suddenly, they're confronted with their own past sins. Some of us try to hide it. We push it away, but it's all right there. It just takes a trigger. It just takes a moment sometimes to surface all the guilt and all the things that we've done wrong to other people, all the emotions in the room. Can you imagine how tense that room was in that moment? You've got Joseph weeping because of his brother standing right there. You've got the brothers wondering why they're going through all this distress and famine and they don't have any food. And they're all just remembering what happened to them in the past. And the past is literally just hanging in the air. You could slice it with a knife. Finally, the tension between Joseph and his brothers reaches a peak. And in verse chapter 45 of Genesis, I'm just going to read this to you. Verse 1, just listen. It says, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants. Now, everywhere Joseph went, attendants followed him. So he had a, an attire of people all around him because he was so powerful. And it says, he, he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Can you imagine how they felt? He takes off the headdress 
He removes probably some of his garment. He might have wiped off some of the makeup. It's already softened by the tears he's been crying. And then it says in verse 2, he broke down and he wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him outside the room, the ones he sent away, and word of it quickly carried all the way to Pharaoh's palace. Joseph is weeping. He's weeping so loudly. We can hear him through the walls. And Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Can you imagine? How do you think Joseph's brothers felt? I mean, everything had been flipped around. Joseph had them now. He held the power over them, the motive and the right to kill each one of them. All Joseph had to do was call the attendants back in and say, I want all of these men in front of me. I want, I want them to be killed. And every one of them would have been killed, and no one would have thought anything of it. What did Joseph do when he was in that moment? He had them in his grip. One wave of his hand would have destroyed all of them. He could have paid them back. He could have gave justice to the ones who caused him so much pain. What did he do? Before we get to it, let me ask you, what would you do? What would you do? If you had your father in your grip, the one who kicked off all the pain in your life, your ex-wife, the friend who hurt you, the, the person who lied about you, the one who betrayed you, what would you do? Don't act all holy. Be honest. What would you do? Here's the scene. The brothers fear Joseph will seek vengeance. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong we did to him? That's found in Genesis 50, verse 15. I mean, that's the way it works, right? In our world, you know, somebody does something wrong to you, you do something wrong to them. But what blows me away, and this, this is the thing that's been just ricocheting in my, in my soul all week long in preparation for this message. Somewhere along the line, from the pit to the prison to the palace, Joseph confronted his pain and refused to carry it any further. See, that's where, that's, that's where, that's where I want to be. I want to get to the place in my life where I confront the pain before I get to the palace. And listen to Joseph's response, because this just blows me away, and we're going to be finished in just a moment. Listen to Joseph's response, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Listen, to that. he calms their fears. He had all power over them, and he calms their fears. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In other words, am I the one that can really bring justice to people? I'm not God. You intended to harm me, but God. Folks, I want you to listen to me very carefully, okay? I'm going to give you something that I think is gold, if you'll just listen. There were people in your past that tried to hurt you. They did hurt you. There were people in your past who've lied about you, betrayed you, mocked you, done all kinds of things to you. And they intended to harm you, and they actually did harm you. But God. You see, if you could go back to your past 
and erase that moment? If you could go back to your past and remove that incident, if you could go back to your past and take away that person, you probably would. But if you did, you wouldn't be where you are today. You see, there are things in my life that I would never in a million years want to go through again. But if I didn't go through them, I wouldn't be where I am. Somehow, Joseph became second in command over all of Egypt, and he was ready for it when it happened because they tried to harm him. I don't understand how all that works. But all I know is God took what they intended to do to harm him, and he turned it around, and he intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, Joseph says, don't be afraid. Watch this. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. How did he do this? How did he look those who caused him so much pain and not only forgive them, but help them? How did he do it? How did he take his power that was so great and not harm them, but bless them? Can I ask you a question? Who is that for you? Who who do you need to get into a room with? Maybe. I'm not saying go to the people who've called you the most pain and sit down with them across the table. That may not be the best for you. But figuratively speaking, who do you need to get into a room with and bless rather than curse? Who do you need to confront and help, not hurt? This, this, this next little thing I'm going to put on the screen, last thing I'm going to put up there for this message. This is so hard for me to say, okay? But in my opinion, it is pure truth, but it is so hard for me to accept. All right? Here it is. When I'm able to look at the people who cause me the most pain and sincerely wish them the best, Until I can get to that place, I still got some healing. That is not said in condemnation. That's not said in guilt. I was talking to people in between services. There's significant trauma. There's less significant trauma. There's abuse that's different than someone scratched your car. There's all kinds of levels and spectrums, but I'm telling you, until you get to this place, you're not free entirely now here's my confession and then I'm going to pray and we're going to be finished with this message series okay I have a few people in my life who have caused me pain and that list every every list is relative to the to the, to the person's list you know, the person writing it and I would say that my list is relatively long who've caused me trauma in my life and I can wish them the best without a doubt. I have worked my way through that. God has worked his way through me in that. There's healing there, and I can look on that list and name that person and name that person and name that person, and I can sincerely say, I wish them the best, and if I could, I would help them. But I have another list, and it's smaller, and they've caused me pain, I'm not there yet. 
I wish I could say I were, but I'm not. And it's a matter of prayer for me, and it's a matter of taking it to God, and it's a matter of saying, God, in this area, I'm in the palace, and I thank you. In this area, I'm in the prison, and I haven't dealt with it yet. You pray for me, and I'll pray for you. And here's the way I look at it. I think it's okay to have two lists because we are human beings who are hurting and broken and imperfect. The only thing that I would say in that area is make sure that one list is longer than the other. I think the first one should always be longer than the second one. You've got people you've worked through. You've got some others you're working on. All right? Let's pray. Father, we bring ourselves to you and our pain and our hurt and our trauma. God, Joseph went through traumatic situations we cannot even imagine. And somehow in all of that, he was able to work it through. It wasn't he worked it through. You worked it through in him. You brought healing. No doubt he had hours upon hours upon hours as he was in the pit and prison to think through and to confront these dark things and to deal with bitterness and hurt and anger and he didn't carry it with him to the palace God help us help us not to carry it with us help us to deal with it and Father we have two lists one we've been able to find healing for the other one not so much help us with the second list thank you for the first one but help us with the second one we want to be people who are healed and whole only you can do that in us and through us. We can't do it ourselves. We bring ourselves to you. We lay ourselves at your feet. And we say, bring healing and wholeness to us so that the wonder of grace and the wonder of your presence and the wonder of